0: Just the general tone of this conversation, I need to listen to more episodes. I think that doesn't get nearly enough attention. So you guys are doing a service with this type of podcast. All right, hey there, Scott, how's it going
1: tonight? Doing well, back from Nashville. I'm one of three that doesn't have a cold. Everyone else seems to have picked up a cold, so I'll take it. I I, I will say though, I came from a house full of a cold, so maybe I just passed it on to you guys and you guys took it, so we'll we'll take it from there. Thank you, appreciate that. But yeah, back from Darm and Nashville was an incredible experience. uh, We'll talk a little bit more about that later, but winter is truly here. I woke up, it was snowing yesterday and then it was 20 degrees this morning, so I'm already starting the When does spring come? So that's my focus.
0: You'll have to go visit. you have to go visit your daughter in Florida again down there and escape the snow and just use that excuse as a way to line it up there. Adam, how are you doing? I think we're both fighting the same little head cold. So we have to go on mute randomly. We'll try to protect the listeners ears. But what's going on? How are you doing?
2: Yeah, I'm better than you because I'm on the upswing, but I'll I'll try not to sniffle in anybody's ears. I'll leave the Darm Women's Summit discussion for the next podcast. Uh, but we were all in the same place. We were all in Nashville last week, and it was great to be together but my my mindset is on evolution right now and, and this is, i think probably the next few episodes we'll talk about this maybe even leading into the ne- the next beginning of next year but before i get to these this business side of evolution i want to talk a little bit about the sports evolution it's been a couple of weeks since we've had a chance to get an update i think the last time we talked both conrad and scott were taking me to task for not understanding the rules of the Tournament that we're in, and rightly so. I was very un-Belichick. I did not understand the rules. As a quick recap for everybody, we beat everybody in the tournament very handedly, but yet we came in second place because we allowed one goal to be scored upon us because I didn't recognize the tiebreaker rules. So last week we had a another tournament, our second tournament, which was our last tournament of the of the fall season, and I'm very happy to say that we took the championship and we evolved in a couple different ways. So. We evolved from a perspective of the coaching side of things, where I now take the time to understand what those tiebreaker rules are, and it did come in handy. I knew it going into that final game. First couple of games, we we whooped them. We we were in a a tier of four, so we was around robin. We had to play all three. Sunday's game was going to be that head-to-head competition with a, a pretty similar team. Started to rain on Saturday night, and uh, we got sideways on Sunday. For anybody who's thinking about travel sports and tournaments, you really got to think about what your weekends are going to look like. So I I give that as a a quick public service announcement. But Sunday was totally out of whack. We ended up having games, having to travel up and just wait around for our games. They were 25-minute games. So typically our games are 35-minute halves. So this was a full 25-minute game. I'm anticipating going into this that it's probably going to be zero zero. Conrad made the, the comment last time we got together that Soccer is very low scoring. It is, but that's the beautiful game and it's part of it. So I was anticipating, hey, we're going to go to PKs. not a problem. We had four goals in 25 minutes. It was the most heated game I've ever been involved with. Within the first two minutes, the ref is asking the other coach to have his parents stop dropping the F-bomb. Now, nothing's happened. This is just sidelines, people screaming at the ref. And the coach was no different. He just lost his mind. So they went up by one, we came back. They went up by another one, we came back. So the last one was a penalty shot. And this is part of where my next level of evolution comes from on the coaching side of things. It was a penalty shot and it was a stacked up in the front of the box. My son had it. He brought it down He was going to shoot. He got hit. Somebody else from our team got hit. Another player on their team. So it was a stack of four people. As I was mentioning, a lot of emotions were flying. I will say I kept my cool, which was out of the norm. My wife was very proud of me, but I kept my cool in the sense that of coaching, but I didn't really understand all of the pieces that were coming to get me together at the same time. So one of my rules with my team, and I say this to to my kids all the time, is if you earn that penalty shot, I want to give you the penalty kick. It didn't dawn on me that... My son was the one that had the ball on his foot when the penalty happened. So I actually chose someone else to take this penalty shot. So luckily he did score it and we went on to tie. And because uh, we had the tiebreakers and goals, we ended up taking the championship. So all, all is good in there. But the evolution for me from a coaching perspective is to really pay attention to those details and from now on, whenever I see a penalty shot like that, I'm going to pause and say, "Hey, who was the foul?" So that way I can collect myself long enough to recognize, hey, this was somebody who should who earned that shot, should go up there and take it. So needless to say, we were very happy that we got the trophy. It's sitting on my shelf upstairs. But it was a little bit of a step back to have some disappointment around the coach, i e, the dad actually not following through with the rule that that he built. But with that said, learning experience, we will evolve and get better. Now, looping it back into this episode, I think that there's a big opportunity to evolve on the marketing side. And and Conrad and I just presented at Darm last week thinking through this. And I think there's a strong correlation with sales and marketing, with coaches and playing. And I think all of those pieces come together and our guest this week is gonna bring them together in a really interesting way through video. And I did this a long time ago when I was with the Vacation Rental Company back in 2008 to 2012, where I would consistently put out videos But I didn't really think about why I was doing it or what the format was. Whereas our guest this week is really going to bring it back together where video is the format that we can now connect and evolve and start to evolve both our marketing and then bring in some sales with our guests. But we really need to do it in a structured and thoughtful way. So I'm excited to hear what Tom has to say, but I'll get off my soapbox, kick it back to Conrad and let him take it.
0: No, that makes sense. I don't know if I have a lot of uh, extra pieces to add on. Other than I'm glad I'm, I'm picturing you, by the way, though, at night in your bed, pouring over the twelve point font, like, all right, let me make sure I understand all the rules, and then you going to your wife, being like, I got it, and then she's like, okay, can you just go to sleep? It's two thirty a.m. Yeah, <laughs> go to bed. <laughs> but all good, Tom. Welcome. We'd love to transition that into video. I don't know how, so I'm not going to try in this case, as we joked about earlier. We're operating at somewhat limited capacity, but we are excited to have you here, Tom. We thank you for you know your time and hopping on with us today. If you don't mind, maybe you could give a brief background of yourself, your career, how you got into video stuff, and then if you also don't. Mind, Uh, song the best describes you so we can add it to our fun Spotify playlist.
3: Absolutely. Thanks, Conrad. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Scott. Really appreciate you guys inviting me on, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you today. So, I ended up working in production in the video space accidentally. I was a psychology major in college, and it was getting towards the end of my senior year. My parents were getting on my case about getting a job. I was on the phone with a friend of mine from high school one night and telling her about how my parents were riding me about finding a job when I get out of school, when I graduated in a couple of months. And she said, why don't you call my dad? And I said, why would I call your dad? And she said, he's starting a new show. He owned a production company. He was starting a new television show. And she said, give him a call. He knows you. He trusts you. He'll give you an entry level job. And then if he's got one, and then at the end of the day, at least you've got something to get your parents off your back and you can figure out what you want to do later. And I said, okay, so I called her dad and he hired me as a production assistant. That was my first job in t- in television. I hired me as a production assistant. I started eight days after I graduated from college. And uh, here we are 22 years later and I'm still working in production. So obviously I liked it, but it was entirely... By accident that I ended up in this field, but, but yeah, worked my way up, started as a production assistant, like I said, which is like low man on the, on the ranking system, entry level, no experience required. I was fetching coffee and carrying heavy equipment around. And I ended up working my way up to a series producer and showrunner in unscripted television, which essentially means that I was responsible for overseeing series-wide production of television shows and working directly with television networks to deliver those shows to them. So everything from concept development and ideation all the way through the production phases, the actual filming, staffing of those shows filming and casting, and then ultimately onto post-production editing and delivery of those programs. So that's where I ended my career in television. That was about five years ago, towards the end of that career. I was, I'm was very proud to have been honored with a couple of Emmy nominations. Unfortunately, I did not win. Otherwise, I know this is an audio medium, but for the guys who are here on the call with me, you can see behind me the Statue would definitely be on the shelf behind me if I had won. But but super proud of those nominations anyway. It was great validation for sure. And then decided to leave television behind about five years ago and started my own company, Talix Media, with a focus on helping businesses communicate more effectively with the communities that they seek to serve. And that mission has broadened and expanded into helping organizations humanize the world of business and humanize their customers and their communities so that they can communicate more effectively. And that was the impetus for my book, Legendeering, which is what has brought us here together today.
0: Awesome. One, one last thing that we had for you, a song that best describes you as well, because that's a winding career arc a little bit. And uh, starting from the bottom and bringing it all the way up, I, w- I won't put any words in your mouth, but I was thinking of a Drake song as we were going there, but maybe you have a different one in mind.
3: Yeah, I don't know. I, I was going to go a little older school than Drake Please on ya, So I was thinking Running Down a Dream by Tom Petty because it's evocative of my career path that I'm always chasing the next thing and looking forward and working towards something that I haven't quite wrapped my hands around yet or quite fully figured out but i know it's out there and i know it's worth going after so yeah running down a dream by tom petty is my choice
2: i, I believe that's the first tom petty edition to spotify which is it's not no and just won't back down oh no. i still love it and I, I think it's very fitting for our evolution theme that i'm beginning uh,
0: yeah right. i don't I, I like that background tom are you able to share any of the tv show names by the way or is that that's something that you don't always shares publicly i guess i'm just curious more than anything
3: yeah, no, I worked on all kinds of stuff. Everything yep. from real estate stuff, House Hunters International mm-hmm. to Wife Swap on ABC and What Not to Wear on TLC. Right. And so, yeah, so I've, I've done a whole variety of different things. The show that I'm most proud of, was a show called Coast Guard Alaska that we did with the Weather Channel that I was the series producer of the first 3 seasons of and I was really proud of that because it was really was a documentary series and we were telling the stories of the men and women of the Coast Guard up in Alaska who spent a lot of time and put their lives on the line to help the communities up there in a humanitarian or on a humanitarian mission. I was really proud of that show. That's the one I always like to end with because it was my it was my favorite. It was a highlight of my career for sure in television.
0: Yeah. No, and I imagine the shooting conditions for that are a lot different than what not to wear, where you're like in nice retail stores in New York City as opposed to I can't even imagine the shooting conditions of the other one. Like I'm assuming you're on boats and out there in the middle of nowhere, correct? <laughs>
3: so. Yeah, it was it was challenging for sure. So yeah, in my in my little bio on my website, it says I've managed teams from sub-Saharan Africa to the Arctic Circle, and that's that encompasses the breadth and diversity of my career for sure.
0: Nice. I like it. Maybe we can tie all that back into the type of client that, or the type of person that might be listening to this episode might be a vacation rental manager. And I guess maybe, Adam, I'm curious your perspective on it because you talked about this in your opener with back in 2012, maybe there was video options available to you. Now it feels like everyone's got one of these, right? Everyone's got a phone. And in theory, it's a lot easier to produce video. And the quantity of that video marketing tools people have access to seems a lot higher. I'm not sure the quality is that much better in some respect. Like, it seems like there's a lot more people that are trying to post video content on social media, but is it actually producing better results for the average vacation manager. What's your take as someone who's been in marketing, but not really as focused on the marketing side today? I'm curious.
2: Yeah, that's funny. I actually hadn't thought about that till you just mentioned that. You're right. I probably wasn't using my phone, at least at the beginning stages of that. I think as I got closer to the end of my marketing side of things, I was probably using my phone, but I was probably using flip cameras. If you're, if you remember those, that was a, a time where we were trying to give away flip cameras to guests to try to get some user generated content. So I think I was probably using one of those for a while. I, I guess what I would say about quality side of things and this isn't more about the tools, right? I think the tools have improved and, and the phones in our pockets are more than enough quality. But I think the quality of the end product, I think, is really what we're trying to get across. And, and what I mean by that is value, value to the person that's going to watch that. So it could be grainy, but if it's a, a really great story or a great video, then I'm going to be more inclined to, to watch it. And there's some value to for me as the consumer of that product. But I think that to your point, Conrad, we all have this potential. And as I went through the legendaring book, and we won't, I won't jump ahead, but I, I do think there's value in, in towards the end of this and in, in Tom helping us understand the, the formatting around creating valuable content because Tom just walked through. A, the stages of his career and all the things that he did on a television show. And from us on the outside, we might listen to that and think, yeah, but we don't really need like all of those stages. We don't really need to think about the setting and who's going to be on the camera and what they're going to be saying. We should just open up the camera and go for it. And I think to some degree, just opening up your camera and going for it is valuable depending on what video you're shooting and why you're shooting it. But I also want to stress that there's a lot of value in creating a structure and a format around what we're doing. And I think that's part of what My excitement with this discussion with Tom is really refining the way I'm thinking about video content and refining the way I'm going to create it. So I want to think about this in a way, from my perspective, I want to think about this in a way that I'm creating value and building out a longer story that I can then chunk into smaller videos. And then within each one of those videos, I want to have a structure around that. Now, again, I don't want to jump too far ahead, but that's where my thinking goes. I think it's very similar to what I was doing in 2008, but I want to evolve. I want to get better at, at what I was doing. Uh, it's it's almost 20 years, 15, 20 years, right? How have we done, how have we gotten better to improve the message that we're putting out?
0: Yeah. M- maybe Tom, your reaction to that idea of does the average small business out there, and typically the type of person that might be listening might have a vacation rental company and they're trying to promote their destination. They're trying to promote, hey, you should come and visit the Hamptons or you should come visit the Outer Banks or you should come visit Myrtle Beach. And they have this tool or tools in their pocket, so to speak, with this whether it's a phone or whether it's a GoPro or something like that, how do they take the raw ingredients of what that kind of feels like to me and turn that into something that's a little bit more successful for them to actually get eyeballs on it? Because I think what I see a lot of is, hey, we're walking through a property that's like letting you know what's there, but it's not really giving you any sort of story. It's more just, now like, oh, there's a bedroom and there's a kitchen and stuff like that. How do we turn, how do you go from that? Just like plain facts-based video stuff to more of the storytelling component that I'm sure you have a lot of experience with.
3: Yeah, I think, so first of all, I, I just want to say, I think quality is a little bit of a tricky word when it comes to, definitionally, when it comes to talking about content. And so I just, I just wanna dive into that for just a quick second and talk about quality and where quality really matters, where it's most impactful. So a lot of people get really caught up in quality. Oh, they're concerned about spending a lot of money, right? Hiring somebody like me that has big fancy cameras to come and create a bunch of content They and they'll say, they'll argue that level of quality doesn't benefit them. And, and in some cases, they're right. It depends on the sort of the kind of content they're producing. But where quality really matters and where it can be, where the average person can have the biggest impact on the quality and therefore the effectiveness of the content they're producing is in the intention with which they're producing it, right? Adam was talking about this, kind of hit on this point a little bit earlier in that, When it comes to uh, actually strategizing and creating content, it isn't just about pulling your phone out and filming something, but why are you filming it? What is your intention behind filming it? What are you going to do with it? And what is the impact that you hope it has on the audience? Because ultimately, coming back to your question, Conrad, it's not about you. It's about them, right? It's not about what you want to say. So you may be really excited about the layout, of your rental property, for example. You may be really excited about the view from the deck of your vacation rental that you own, right? And that you're trying to attract people to. But the question is the audience, is the community, and if so, why are they? Because the reason why you're excited about it is not necessarily the same reason that they're excited about it. You're excited about it because it raises the value of your property, And it means that you're going to earn more revenue from that property, right? But that's not why they're excited about it. Nobody renting that property from you cares about how that view from that deck puts more money in your pocket, right? So you have to remember that when you're creating this content, it is very much about who you're creating it for and how you can deliver value to them rather than it being about what you want and what you're most interested in and what you find valuable. So it's about them. It's not about you.
2: Tom, maybe we take a step back. Could you define legendeering for us? So when I went through the book, I sort of broke it into two categories, the why and then the how. And I do want to save time for how, because I do think there's value in execution and, and helping people understand how they can put it to use. But I also think the why is a very important part of this. So how would you define legendeering?
3: Yeah. So legendeering is basically defined as the, act of creating valuable, value-driven storytelling through video content to engineer sort of business growth, right? And, And the way it works is really you're creating like a strong and stable framework that you can use over time to support and grow your business. And then how you do that is where you start getting into the sort of nuts and bolts of things and the core principles and directives that you saw in the book, but you know, the, and the overriding principle to lead with value. So really it's about creating content, specifically video content as the centerpiece that delivers value to your audience. It's about engineering story around your brand. And that's how I came up with the word. I made up the word, obviously, right? It's not, it's it's you're not gonna find it in a dictionary, but I feel like I'm in good company. Google is a made-up word, Kleenex is a made up word, right? So I I feel like I'm okay with making up the word, but it's it was literally legend, right? Story and engineer, right? Because you're building story or you're engineering story around your brand. And that's what legendering really is all about. When you're
2: (laughs) marketing plans together or you're thinking about marketing with your clients. Do you are you talking about storytelling? Do you think through this? Because I wonder if the industry is doing much of this.
0: Yeah. I, I don't think we do a great job with this. I'll be honest. I think that we tend to be very technical with our marketing approach, to be honest with you, Tom, where we're not thinking of the story behind it. We're thinking of like, how do we get eyeballs, you know what I mean, on this property? Or how do we get eyeballs with this particular vacational management company? And I think it's something that I am i don't excel at. Certainly on the property description level, like when we get down there, I think we do a good job in that respect, right? So once someone's already considering a property, it's your classic AIDA, awareness, interest, desire, action. I feel like we follow our marketing approach there. We don't have to think about the property manager themselves. We don't often think about the owner of the property and things like that. So maybe Scott, but I was trying to get to a minute ago. Sorry, Adam, I keep stepping on you. My apologies there. But is like, how do we, I guess there's a blocking and tackling to what we do every day where it's the property's got to get cleaned. And we always joke about how you're thinking on the operational side, but this is really important too. So how do we find the balance between building the marketing and the storytelling to Tom's point where it's actually meaningful and valuable for the other person with this idea that we also have to like do the basics well, where do you see that point coming in the companies that you have been involved with over the years?
1: Yeah, it's funny. I, I'm immediately drawn to humanizing, right? Because I, I think that's the missing component, right? We we get so locked up and we're even, we even tried to balance that up front of what the tools are, right? And it's the technology and we've got to have the best tech stack. And I actually look at this and go, if we can humanize things first, I think that starts to, to drive us closer to those folks that we want to drive closer to. Conrad, when we've talked about this and you've talked about it on the Heads and Beds, right? The... This insurmountable task list that we all face every day inside of running this business, right? The, we've talked about it. This is hard. But on the owner side, Conrad, if it were me, I would say we we take the legendering concept and how do we show our owners here's what happens behind the scenes, right? How do we humanize? Here's the list of things we're working on for you, right? And and you, you can almost see it in this the life a day in the life of kind of series, right? Where you're showing, hey. Here's what your property goes through. Here's how many times we touch your property per day, right? Whether it's through technology or whether it's through physical. And I think if you take this to the guest perspective, and again, and Conrad, you hit on it. We know how to go for the people that we think are going to stay with us. But if you really get to this to who stays with us in this property and how do we communicate to them, whether it's the Boater Paradise properties or something like that, how do you really drive in and say, yes, we're just offering this property. And as Adam says, this is property is just a tool. But now how do you humanize that experience to say, here's what awaits you, right? Tom, one of the things that we've faced in our business really post-COVID is we've gone, most everything is virtual now. Even we've given up check-in, right? Back before COVID, right? So in February, 2020, you would have checked in at most of our locations. We would have handed you the key, give you the parking pass, you're on your way. COVID hits and we went to nearly 100% virtual check-in where you just get a a lock code to the door. You walk up to the house, punch in your door code, right? And vacation starts. So we're really trying to find our way through. That's the way customers want to travel. That's the next iteration. They don't really want to stop by and see you, but we've lost the humanization of the whole process, right? We've lost those touch points. We try to automate them and People can come up with 120 plus emails of touch points, but, but are we humanizing ourselves and and do they know that Scott's an actual person right on the other side of this? Conrad's the local person. He's right on the other side of this. And, and our, our focus, Tom, has been, can we now deliver that through video, right? And, And can we make that connection and establish it there?
0: Yeah. So what, one thing, Tom, that was brought up while we were at the conference last week, Will was there and he, someone asked him, or someone, I, I think it was Lauren Madewell, if memory serves correctly. And she said, what's an example of what would you do? He gave us examples from the restaurant world. And those are obviously very, I would say different because Scott's point a minute ago, right? You can actually walk, I'm, I'm two feet behind you in the restaurant, right? I'm listening to what you're saying. And some of the stories that he told about unreasonable hospitality were because of that, the kind of professional that was working with them, listened to what they said, did something about it. And there was a lot of stories about that. To Scott's point, though, we do not that doesn't exist in many cases, or it's very automated. You book, you get a door code, you show up there. Uh, hopefully it's there. What's your idea, Tom, of these kind of lo-fi casual video interactions? Like, is there a way to improve the quality of the storytelling? Or is it, hey, Tom, so excited that you booked with us and you're coming and staying in your cabin in Beacon. Can't wait to welcome you. Hope you have a great time. If there's anything I can do, let us know. Is that it? Or is there more that we could be doing to make that not just a good interaction, but a great interaction, I guess is my question.
3: Yeah, so I have an I have an idea and it's it may be predicated on something that I'm imagining, right? So I'm just gonna lay it out. We'll create a hypothetical and I'll just throw it out there. I don't know if it actually applies specifically for you guys in your business, but it may apply to somebody listening, right? So if you're on the sort of management, on the property management side of things, i.e. you manage a bunch of vacation rentals for people, right? If you have a bunch of rentals in a particular location, right? I was just down in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware a couple of weeks ago. So let's just pick that as a, because it's a place I was recently, it's in my head, Right. So let's say you manage a bunch of vacation rentals in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. One of the things that I would do as the management company, not even the owner of the properties, right? Is thinking about what my owners, who are my customers, right? What's important to them? What's important to them is ultimately that their property keeps getting rented out on a regular basis, right? That they have that kind of consistent rental turnover, right? And or consistent rental income, however you want to put it. So what I'm looking at then is, how do I help them make sure that they have those consistent rentals? And the first thing that popped into my head was like, create a content series for people visiting the area, right? Go around, highlight local businesses, right? Highlight local attractions. Do a little like mini tourism series for their guests, right? Right. Get, put that out, give them links to that. Just give it to the your owners to distribute, right? And you can distribute it, but make sure they know you're doing it, obviously. And you tie that back to your brand, right? So it's brought to you by name of your management company, right? You sponsor it. You can put your logo on the on it, right? You just tie that value, but you don't make an ask, right? Like it's one of these things, and Will actually shared this not that long ago on LinkedIn, this quote that a gift has to be a gift, not an ask, right? So you give them this gift of this valuable content, right? That will help their renters and entice renters to their area, right? Which will help in turn help your business, right? So you got to think like a couple of steps removed from the the direct point of sale, right? So it's not how do I get another rental owner to sign on to have me manage their property. It's how do I put people in the rental properties? Because the more people I put in the rental properties as the property, as a property manager, the more owners are going to come to me and go, they're creating this content that's filling all these people. Like if I need somebody to manage my property, obviously they know what they're doing. They're in touch with my consumers.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's a good example, Tom, because I think the trap that a smaller manager is going to fall into is just being very focused on how can I try to slice in the last moment when people are ready to book? How can I try to put my property in front of them, and get them to book my property versus all the competition out there? And let's be honest, right? COVID has boomed where now there's a lot more competition today than there was maybe five years ago in many markets. I don't know the market that you um, were visiting too well, I'll be honest with you, but I imagine there's probably, if I had to bet my bottom dollar on there's probably more rentals on listing sites today like Airbnb and Verbo than there was in 2019 before COVID. I may be wrong. Maybe Adam and Scott, you guys can fact check me on that one, but yeah. I, I think
3: that's a safe bet. I mean, yeah, I'm not in know. the industry, but I would think that's. I don't know, Adam and Scott, you guys think so?
1: Absolutely. That market blew up for sure. Yeah.
0: So I guess, Tom, one thing that I I think of as you give that example is this is actually, I think, a common homeowner thing. Um, And we've had different homeowner kind of marketing people on this podcast before where they talk about sending, like trying to reach out. Again, it's the same logic, right? Try to reach out and send a postcard directly to the property owner and say, let me manage your property. And that can work. There's no doubt about it. Like some people need property management. They find that postcard, they find that media or marketing that they're doing. And they say, oh yes, I actually am unhappy with my current manager. Let me list with you. But I think what you're talking about is a lot more different because it's like, you must be interested in Rehoboth Beach. like Otherwise you wouldn't watch the video. You must be interested in this local restaurant that you profiled in that video. And you're just building awareness in a more like high level way where it's if you love Rehoboth, you probably love Cooper's. I'm just making that up. I don't know. (laughs) But it's you love this restaurant. We went in there and we filmed five minutes of the owner talking about how he got started, your favorite server, waitress or waiter or something like that that's in that restaurant. That kind of storytelling, I think, is something that's pretty uncommon in our industry, I would say. But I think it speaks to that idea of you're promoting the area. And then, oh, by the way, it's sponsored by XYZ company. And that's going to create a lot of interest and awareness. Adam, what's your perspective on that? I feel like it's more similar to some of the ideas you gave before about video creation for surfing. doesn't exactly tie directly to vacation rentals in the Outer Banks, but you tied it back through some of the things that you've done before. So I'm curious your point of view on that.
2: I'd I'd love it. I I think that's exactly where this industry needs to go. So I've mentioned this on the podcast as well, this Club Seaside concept where we partnered with some local businesses and then we'd offered up some things to the guests. Part of that was me creating video content for those local businesses as well. So similar concept to what Tom just laid out. I don't think that's done nearly enough. And I think the people who do it, the first to market get the the best uh, opportunity to capture the biggest market. So every one of our listeners is in a unique vacation rental market. If you're the first one in that market that decides to go around and do these videos, there's a benefit for you being first. One, because the businesses are gonna wanna talk to you. They're gonna look for that advertisement as well. Two, you're gonna be the one that has all of these videos out on YouTube or wherever you decide to share them. And then to Conrad's point, I think there's a a big opportunity to get not only guests but homeowners through this marketing. And again, it's coming at it from the side rather than you know just sending a postcard directly to that homeowner. But we all know that everybody's online doing searches for whatever. And if they start to come across, the homeowners start to come across your videos repeatedly for whatever reason, they're naturally gonna start to think, hey, this person has an understanding of my area, let's dig a little deeper. All of a sudden they get a postcard in the mail. So this might reinforce the marketing you're already doing. I'm not necessarily saying it will replace. Although if you do this well, I could see that you could get away from some of those postcards because you might not need that added expense. So I fully support it. The challenge, and I know we're, we're going to get this from listeners or, or people in the audience. I think there's two things that come to mind. One, do you need to have that right person who's excited to be on camera, who's gonna grab people's attention, do they need to have that passion? There's one question of this. And then the other part of that question, Tom, is can you run multiple legendeering stories at the same time? So if I'm doing this local business one to offer some benefit to the guest and the homeowner, is there another group of legendeering videos that I'm doing at the same time? Or do you stay focused in, in one avenue? So I guess they're twofold question. Do you have to have the right person or can you muscle it? And two, can you run multiple campaigns at the same time?
3: Yeah, it's important to have somebody on camera who's comfortable being on camera, who's engaging on camera, absolutely. There's really no substitute for that. At the end of the day, if somebody presents as wooden and monotone, you're gonna have a hard time getting anybody to watch it. And and the thing I always tell, the the, the way I analogize that for people is just think about the things you watch and the reasons why you watch them, right? And that includes the the content that you consume on say YouTube. The other thing that I think it's important to note is when we're talking about this kind of legend content, I'm not talking about going out and making a million 30 second videos, right? I'm talking about making longer form content that you can then leverage into shorter form content. There's this popular misconception that nobody has an attention span anymore, right? And it's not true. We're inundated with more information than we ever have been in the history of mankind, right? From a lot of different angles in ways that are very novel to the times that we're living in now. But... I think everybody here, everybody listening, has a sh- a series, a show, a movie, whatever the case may be, that they would have no problem sitting in down, sitting down in front of the TV and putting on Netflix, uh, Max or Disney Plus or whatever, and watching hours of straight through on a rainy sat- Saturday afternoon. So if you can sit down and watch hours of something on a rainy Saturday afternoon, you have an attention span, right? The problem is not that you don't have an attention span, the the issue is that your attention span is platform dependent. And that's the sort of key thing that a lot of people miss, right? You go to Facebook or Instagram or TikTok or LinkedIn for different kinds of content, and for different durations of content and your expectations are based on what the platform feeds. So for Instagram, for example, reels are 90 seconds long. So that's what you're looking for when you go for a reel, it's 90 seconds or less on Instagram. That's your expectation. And so that's what you watch, but people go to YouTube and watch 20 minute videos all day long. No problem. Nobody bats an eye about it. Right? So My argument is that make longer form content, that 10 to 20 minute duration kind of content, right? That can live on a YouTube platform, right? On that kind of platform. And then take that long form content, repackage and repurpose it And there are a bunch of AI tools. If you just Google AI video editing, there are a bunch of AI tools that can help you with that, or you can do it yourself, but repackage and repurpose it into shorter form content for social media to drive audience to the longer form content, right? Because the longer form content with that format where people, where you can set expectations for people and then deliver on that set of expectations is where you're really going to form the relationship. You don't really form the relationship on social media. It's that next step after social media. And Conrad, I like this too, like video helps SEO, right? If you have video on your website, it helps your SEO rankings, right? So put the videos on your website also, cross post them on your website doesn't have to only be on YouTube, but then take those videos and get transcriptions of them. Again, very easy to do. Like literally a Google search away. There's like thousands of tools on how to do it. So get transcriptions of those videos and then take those transcriptions and create blog and article content out of them and put that on your website too. So you've got transcriptions on a hidden page that you've got blog and article content. Now you've got all this text on your website too, which Conrad, right? Helps you with SEO. So all of a sudden, you're getting more site traffic, and you're driving people to these videos you're making, and where you're delivering value for them, and you're creating this world where you're you're giving, giving, and because of the rule of reciprocation, people will look for opportunities to return that value to you and your business.
0: Yeah, I, I want to repeat the first piece because I was nodding, but of course, people listening can't see that, which is that people say that all the time. There's a lot of things in marketing is that people just say, or will get uttered at a meeting or something that everyone goes oh yeah it's so true no one has an attention span anymore and you n- nailed it tom it's bs we, we don't curse on the podcast but it's bs if you look at any sort of a retention curve on a long video that people really love they watch the whole thing right and look at like the kings of retention i'm sure you're aware of or a fan of maybe mr beast like he makes these videos that are 10 12 4 15 minutes long and t- targeted at kids basically targeted at like my son who's seven watch mr beast videos and finds them very entertaining and he watches the whole thing so obviously this idea that oh he's young therefore his no attention span is complete fabrication but people Say that a meeting, and a lot of people will nod, Tom, and they just go, "Oh, yeah, that's true," even though it's not actually true. So I could agree with you more. There, I don't have a great question at the end of that. I just wanted to repeat what you were saying there and hammer that into people's heads because it's one of those things that really bothers me that people say a lot of, for sure.
2: I agree with you. You got to have the right person. That was a little bit of a loaded question for me to ask that, but I, I asked that because I know that's what people are going to ask, and what I would stress there. Is is the person who's probably the most comfortable might also be the one who is a looking for that role. They're eager to do it, but B it's probably someone who's younger and isn't getting paid that much in your staff. Anyway, get them out into the field and start letting them go out and doing something that they're going to enjoy. It's going to come back. One, they're going to be passionate, and enjoy it in the videos, but two, you're going to get some solid video out of it. And then I guess the other part of my question there, can you do multiple? Clearly, that's what you're saying. Go out and do these long forms. So the idea is that you're coming up with multiple storylines that you're then executing together, and then you're putting them out. And then to your point, all those other SEO values that you can get out of those, you're then just rolling that through YouTube, website, social media, and carrying on like that.
3: Yeah. And I think a good way to make sure that you're hitting on a bunch of different sort of targets, right? In terms of this kind of information you wanna convey or the valuable information you wanna convey. So say, we'll go back to the hypothetical situation I I dreamed up earlier where we were talking about going to local businesses, right? And doing highlights of local businesses. Maybe there's also a really fantastic national park nearby too. And you wanna do content around the national park. Those don't have to be different. If you're doing a 15 minute long episode, in the format of each episode, you can have a segment where you go to a local business, where you go to a park thing, and where you go do a third thing, right? So it could be like business, park, beach, right? In every single episode. So in every episode, you have a business segment, you have a park segment, right? And you have a, a beach segment. I don't know. I'm just maybe park is interchangeable with like local attraction or something like that. So maybe business attraction, beach, Because those are the kind of three things that are most important for visitors to that area. So you do a segment on each, right? You do a couple of minutes on each in each episode, right? So those are all together in the long form episode. But then in the short, like when it comes to the short form content, you can take little pieces from each. So it feels like you have a lot of variety in the content, but really you're just pulling from three separate segments from the same episode right? So it can feel very much like you're creating content about the beach, you're creating content about local businesses, and you're creating content about local attractions. And really you're doing it all under the same sort of umbrella of each episode has segments. And in the book, I talk about like sort of a four act sort of breakdown. So like when you look at that sort of four act structure, right, you can basically have an act, you can have an introduction and then do a little piece on, you can do an act on a local business and act on a local attraction and an act on the beach and then wrap it up there right like you can do your wrap up as part of the beach act right and that's your show
0: yeah, Scott this to me seems like a perfect example we talked a minute ago about humanizing and it's like everything I think Tom just laid out is like humanizing not only potentially the property manager or whoever the on-camera person happens to be to Adam's point I agree I would say this though Adam is I didn't like that light when I first saw it right like I felt awkward at first and you just have to do a lot of reps maybe you can speak to that really quickly too, Tom in a second but Scott I was going to say to you really quickly this idea of humanization that to me it just seems like such a phenomenal example of being on camera being comfortable again at that stage you get like that storytelling is so humanizing because you see the person they're interested in their business that what where do you park when you go to this beach actually oh you actually park down here there's less people here no one knows this but i'll tell you guys who are listening right you can let the person in a little bit scott so i guess i'm curious your point of view on the humanization aspect like you touched on earlier
1: i think tom is offering so much insight and right on the heels of and, and tom will did the exact same thing that you just did with us right so he was being asked questions at our conference and Will did what Will does, right? He goes, all right, let me just put this in my perspective. And he starts answering questions that that most would say, oh, we're laboring over on our side. But I think it's humanizing. And then the other aspect that that we just really layered in that landed with me is this is the gift, right? We're just giving people this content, right? And Conrad, in our world is, if I do this, how many clicks will it bring? And I think the other aspect of this, if you're just doing it to really give insight and to give people, hey, this is what I do. This is what I like to do. And just lay it out there as your gift to people. When you come visit the area, I want you to have the best possible experience. And I'm going to take the ownership of showing you that experience. With the fact that I'm expecting nothing in return, I think that's where the home run in this lies, right? It's the humanization. And then if you truly look at it as, this is my gift. I want everyone to experience Rehoboth Beach the way that I do. And, and Tom, we go there once a year, right? So we stay in Bethany, we we spend time in Rehoboth and we have all of our favorite places that as I'm sitting here, I'd love to do a day in the life of, and Hey, here's where we started in the morning and, and walk people through. And again, with, with no expectation in return, other than humanizing me, humanizing our product and showing, Hey, when you come here, this is why it's going to be awesome. And let me show you the secrets.
0: Yeah, I guess maybe Tom, I wanted to speak on that. Maybe idea a little bit of yeah. I'm sure the first version of whatever on camera work you do, or I'm sure on the other side of the camera, you go back and look at your early work in your career, and you go, God, that guy like he knew nothing, right? And then you look at what you do today. I'm sure the quality is so different, or quality or, or storytelling aspects. But maybe you could talk about that for a second, because I think the one thing that I've heard from people before is it's not going to be great. Therefore, I'm not going to do it, which I think is a pretty bad excuse. But I feel like people need to just. Is that your point of view? Do people need to do thirty bad videos and then they get to good after that, and they just have to go through that process? What's your point of view on sucking? to get better, basically. <laughs> yeah, look,
3: it, you're absolutely right. You have to put in the reps, right? At the end of the day, being good on camera is a learned skill. It's a developable skill, just like any other developable skill. You can go and analogize kids' sports, right? Not every kid on who first steps onto a field, right, is going to be as good as everybody else. Some kids are going to naturally be a little bit better. But with hard work, Everybody can get good. Some kids are always going to be a little bit better, just like some people are always going to be a little bit better, a little bit more comfortable in front of camera, a little bit better able to put together a sentence on the fly to answer questions, to speak on a stage, whatever the case may be. Right. Some people are always going to be a little bit better, a little bit predisposed to that skill set. Right. But you absolutely can get better. So everybody can get better if you put in the time and the effort required to get better. And I'll give I'll give you a little trick that I've taught people over the years that I think really can help people get more comfortable on camera. And so what I tell people to do is to take out your phone. This is particularly for people who are uncomfortable on camera and who are specifically not creating video content because of it, right? Because like you said, Conrad, I'm not going to do it because it isn't going to be great. So this is, that's who this is for. So if that's you, I want you to do this after you finish listening to this podcast, right? Get your phone out, record yourself on video. Doesn't have to be anything you're going to post, right? Don't post it. Don't even stress about that. I just want you to get out the video, get out your phone, put yourself on video, and talk about something that's important to you for 30 seconds to a minute, very quickly. And then I want you to watch that video back three times in three different ways. Okay. So the first time I want you to turn the volume all the way up and put it, put the phone face down on a table, right? Or on your desk. So you're just listening to yourself. You can't see yourself. You're just listening. Then I want you to watch it back with the volume turned all the way down. So you're just watching yourself, but you can't hear anything. Right. And then I want you to watch it with the sound on looking at the video. Right. And so what you're doing is you're focusing on different things. So the first time you're focusing on how you sound, and I'll, I'll give you I'll give you a little trick there. You're not gonna like your voice. And the truth is that nobody likes the way their voice sounds. And there's actually a scientific reason behind it. It's because when we speak, the vibrations from our voice box travel up through the soft and hard tissues in our head to our inner ears, right? So the sound that we hear when we speak is actually a combination of the sound coming through the air and into our outer ear and then into our inner ear the way everybody else hears us and the sound vibrations traveling from our voice box through the tissues in our heads to our inner ear. We only sound like that to ourselves, right? So the way you hear yourself is the way you've always sounded to everybody else. So it sounds different to you, but it sounds the same to everybody else. So get over it. It's scientific. Everybody hates the way they sound recorded, but that's why, right? You can't help it. You sound different to yourself, but you sound the same to everybody else. So don't worry about it, right? But what you're doing is first, you're just listening. And what I want you to listen for is do you stumble? Are there words that you use a lot as crutches? How can you mitigate that? It's okay to have idiosyncrasies of speech. I say write a lot. I just, I do. And I almost just said it again there (laughs) while I was giving that example. I say it all the time, but that's okay. I just know that I have that idiosyncrasy to my speech. I don't worry about it too much, but I listen and I'm aware of it. And I try to mitigate it a little bit so I don't overdo it, right? So it doesn't become a crutch. So you can listen for things like that. You can listen for the tone of your voice. You can listen for whether or not you're being emphatic enough, if you're emphasizing things the way you'd like them to be emphasized, right? And then conversely, when you watch the video without the sound, doing the same thing, watching your body language, look at your face, right? Are you emoting? Are you expressing what you want to express? Or your is your face conveying the message you want it to convey? And then lastly, when you put it all together, how does it work as a whole, right? So do that. And you can do that every day. It literally takes, if you record a video that's 60 seconds long, it takes four minutes to do. You can literally do that every day and just put in the reps, practice. And I guarantee you, if you save those videos and you do it for a month, you go back and watch the first video you did and the last video you did. And after 30 days of doing that, you're going to see an improvement. You're going to see a drastic improvement, but you just got to work at it. Anything else, you just got to put in the time and the effort.
0: Isn't the classic example, Adam, like Michael Jordan gets cut from his high school basketball team or something like that and goes on to be the greatest player. But yeah, I feel like this is teed up for you, Adam, with regards to sports and reps and practicing. So I'll let you. I,
2: I, I use that example all the time. Uh, that yeah. one and Jordan's example, play through your sickness too. get on the mic. You got to keep playing. But okay. yeah, Tom, I, I completely, I, I, yeah, exactly. I completely agree with what you're saying, and, and that's a fantastic trick. And I know we're coming up to the end here, so maybe I I would love to take maybe the last five minutes and just some more of those practical ideas. The the two that I guess jump out from the book are the four acts. I think you just spending you know a couple minutes helping us understand how do you break a video into four acts, and then lastly, if you wanted to share any tools that you think, I, I know you listed some that you think, hey, you're gonna need these if you're gonna do some legendeering If you had any in particular that you really love, we're happy to share that. But I think the execution side of things, helping people get over that hurdle of, hey, just get out there and do it. I think that's the important part to close on.
3: Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's two things that are really important to understand to make legendeering work, right? The first is the rule of reciprocation, which we I touched on, I mentioned earlier, but for those who aren't familiar, the rule of reciprocation at its base level, at its core, essentially says you cannot take or receive without giving in return, right? It's something that is literally taught to us from before we can talk. You guys are all dads, right? So any parents here can really understand this. But even if you're not a parent, if you've just been around parents with young kids, you'll appreciate what I'm going to say. Uh, you, we've all been in the situation, or most of us have, where you see uh, a parent interacting with uh, a young kid who's preverbal, So like younger than 18 months old, doesn't speak in sentences. The kid's in a high chair. The parent goes to hand the kid something. And as they go to hand the kid something, that little hand is reaching up to take it from them. The parent says something like this, words to this effect, As, as their hand grasps whatever the parent's handing them, they say, and now you say thank you, or words to that effect. And what that parent is doing is they're teaching their child to follow the rule of reciprocation. When someone gives you something, you give them gratitude in return. So when someone hands you something, you give them gratitude by saying thank you. That's how we give gratitude, right? It's the same reason why if you're walking down the street and you pass a stranger and they wave at you and say, good morning, you say good morning back. And if you're face down in your phone or distracted when it happens, you'll actually turn and say it over your shoulder to them to make sure that you didn't miss the opportunity to say it back to them. You're following the rule of reciprocation, right? So we'll tie it back to Will. We'll go into a restaurant uh, analogy to really drive this point home. In you, We've all been in the situation, you go out to dinner with a friend, right? And the check lands on the table at the end of the meal. Your friend grabs the check and says, I got this, dinner's on me. And you do the dance, right? You hem and you haw. You go, oh, come on, you don't have to do that. Let me get my half. I'll cover the drinks. Let me cover the tip. You try to bargain with them a little bit. in the, But they're insistent. And in the end, you give in. And you actually make two decisions side by side. And it doesn't feel like two decision, two decisions because it literally comes out in the same breath. And what you say is, okay, fine, thank you. And that's your decision to accept the gift. And then the next thing out of your mouth in the same breath, in the same sentences, but the next time or the next one, it's on me. And that desire to reciprocate is so strong. It is so powerful that in a lot of cases, you'll actually go out of your way to create the opportunity to reciprocate. So you'll call that friend up the next week and you go, hey, what are you doing on Friday? And they'd be like, I don't know. Let me look at my calendar. Oh, nothing, why? I'm free. You're like, cool, we're going to dinner. It's on me, right? You'll actually create the opportunity. You'll invite them out to dinner just so you can buy it for them so you can reciprocate that gift, right? So that's what legendering ultimately is all about is delivering that value upfront, giving that gift, And then tying that value to your brand so that they can reciprocate, they can return that value to you. And you can do that in a lot of ways. I always talk about, or in the book, I talk about a core principle and and some key directives. So the core principle is to lead with value always, right? And then the key directives are to give without expectation, be relentlessly authentic. Remember, it's not about you, it's about them. You start with story first and then follow with facts. And then finally, consistency is key, right? Right. And consistency and being able to deliver consistency consistently really revolves around this idea of structure that we were talking about before. And the thing, Adam, that you were asking about this four-act structure that I lay out in the book is really a way to look at when you're creating content to do it intentionally from the get-go. So rather than just pulling your phone out of your pocket and filming willy nilly, which I think to think of as I I like to think of it like a road trip, right? You would never just get in your car and start driving and then look at the person riding shotgun and go, so where are we going? Like you, you decide first and then you get in the car and you start driving. So same thing with this. If you're going to film something, you decide first what you're going to film and then you start filming it. And this kind of laying things out in a structure is a really good way to do that. So the acts go like this. So it's Laying the foundation is act one, right? And that's where you get to know the sort of the setting and the key characters. You really just introduce the audience to where you are and what you're doing, right? Then act two is the action, right? That's where you meet the sort of the secondary characters. There's an inciting event, something exciting happens and you begin to move the story forward. So maybe that's where we go to the first business, right? In the the example we were giving before about creating content in say Rehoboth Beach, right? So maybe that's where we go to the business, right? And that's where things start to move the story forward. You start to see a little bit more about Rehoboth Beach and you get, and, and there's some excitement because you get a little bit of the story of how that business almost didn't make it through COVID, but they've rallied and they're still here, right? Act three is where kind of things get a little bit bigger. So then maybe you talk, that's where we go to an attraction, a local attraction. Maybe there's a big, exciting event coming up, right? And you get to talk about that big, exciting event. It happens once a year. It's a big sort of seminal event every year for this community. And you get to talk about that at the local attraction. And then act four at the beach, the resolution, right? You go to the beach and you wrap things up in a beautiful setting, someplace that everybody who goes to Rehoboth, beach is going to go to, right? It's a beach town. You're going to go to the beach. I was there in December. I went on the beach, right? You're going to go on the beach. You resolve it in a place where everybody's going to want to go and you tie things back together. Then it's analogous to the sort of return in the hero's journey is where conflict is resolved and the story is wrapped up into a tidy bow. You put a period on the sentence and you leave it there until the next episode of content. That's
1: awesome. Uh, Tom, I feel like you were sitting over our shoulder every time Conrad and I go out to uh, dinner because we, we have that exact we have a same battle.
0: Way. I in Nashville, by the yes, way.
1: way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It, Conrad got the check and, and I did not get the chance to repay him. So I've I, I've got one outstanding. But Tom, I think you closed it incredibly strong. I did not spend time in the book. I'm waiting for it to come out so I can pick it up. I'm. Super interested in picking it up, and I, I think you provided a ton of value, especially right off the heels of all left arm and said, hey, we need to put video to use even more. We already had you scheduled, so we knew we were walking into a good one, and, and you delivered in a big way, so we we definitely appreciate it. Thanks. Yeah. It's my pleasure, Scott. Yeah. appreciate that.
0: Yeah, so I feel like it's incumbent upon the listener to do two things. Number one, we always beg for reviews, Tom. So we hope people have made it this far in the episode. They got some value out of what they heard. And you should leave a review. If you haven't done that already, it takes you about five seconds, and we appreciate that greatly. But more importantly, Tom just gave you a bunch of value. So you owe it to him to go pick up a copy of his book. We put two links in the show notes. Tom would prefer the order on bookshop.org, I believe it is. So we'll have that link first. If for some reason that's not possible, then Amazon.com is the backup, but he'd prefer you pick it up there. Legendering, you can check it out, and I think you're gonna get a ton of value from it. And you know what I'd love to hear is if we come back maybe in the future, six months year from now we'd love to hear from a listener who went and took video and took action in their business to use video and leverage video we'd love to hear the results because i think you gave a lot of practical examples tom as did will at the darm conference and i think some of these things are time consuming are not time consuming and they can deliver a lot of value to the guest on the other side so we appreciate you if there's anything else we could do we'll put a bow on this one and uh, we thank everybody for listening and we'll catch everybody on the next episode of the art of hospitality thanks so much everybody